0: <laughs> all right, um, without further ado, veteran guest of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. She's joining me back after a little bit of a hiatus. Nicola McDougald, um, multi time author, ghostwriter, chairman of Pippa, all those things. Tell us a bit about yourself for, for any of the listeners who may not have heard of you before.
1: Hello again, my friend. How are you? It's fabulous to be here. Um, Yes, all of those things. Uh, Chair of the Property Investment Professionals of Australia. I think I've just celebrated my first year anniversary and I realised the other day it's next year will be 10 years since I've been a voluntary board member. which is quite some time. Um, Also, as you know, with our dear dear friend, Auntie Kate, uh, the co-author of The Female Investor, um, which won the Personal Finance and Investment Australian Business Book of the Year Award late last year, which we were super excited about. Um, I'm also a bona fide dummies author, Um, uh, via Wiley, my publisher. So Property Investing for Dummies just came out a a couple of weeks ago, the third Australian edition. Um, I wrote the third edition. The second edition was about 10 years before. So there was a lot of changes Mm. that were required. Um, And also later this year, we have um, a smaller guide, I suppose you would call it, called Buying a Property for Dummies, which comes out late April uh, that's specifically for first-time buyers, and then I think in August we have another guide, a smaller one uh, called Property Investing Essentials for Dummies, uh, which is um, for you know your new or more seasoned um, in- investor. Uh, so that's been keeping me busy. Um, I have given myself um, a commitment that I'm not writing uh, any more books this year, but just over recent days I'm like going, well maybe the second half of this year, I might. Um, and then on top of all of that, I am um, the co-director of Bricks and Mortar Media, um, which is a national uh, property and finance PR firm.
0: Obviously, we're going to chat about the book. So on the 1st of Feb, uh, the book was mm. released. Did you say you wrote the first volume as well? Is that what you
1: just said? No, no, no. That was Bruce Brammel. So this is the okay, third okay. edition. Yeah, so, uh, and Bruce wrote the second one, which I believe, you know, I should know this, was. let's call it about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and Dummies Books, as you know, the Dummies brand, which Twiley owns, very well known, more of, um, more like tomes, I suppose, than books, and like reference guides, and very, very detailed Um the detail in it meant that, you know, updating a book that was 10 years old was 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 quite um, a lot more work than perhaps I had anticipated. Um, if you think about even um, the lending environment, uh, property prices, so if you're comparing 2012 to 2022, you could just already imagine how different that was. Mm. Um, in the second edition, you know, Bruce was generally talking about property prices, Around four hundred thousand um, dollars. Clearly, that had to change. Yeah. Um, and it interest rates, interestingly, were re- were generally, you know, being talked about. Um, I think in about, uh, oh, it was probably similar to what it is now. Um, a couple of things, though, in the book that clearly don't exist now was the one hundred and five percent mortgage. Um, and also, uh, self-managed super funds, which are clearly still a big part of the industry. They were like the new property black back in those days. Um, since that time, obviously it can be suitable for some person, not giving, some people not giving financial advice ever. Um, but it, it's not as prevalent as it was then. I mean, I guess maybe these days, what would be the new black for a while there was probably reinvesting. Um, but back then it was self-managed, uh, super, super funds, um, so they were some of the big key changes that were required. Um, so it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of work, but I was very, very proud. I suppose when um, my editor Lucy uh, Raymond um, asked me, probably only a few months after the female investor came out. So uh, that took up a lot of time last year and uh, came out in February. And we've had a, like. The publishers are very, very happy. We've had really, really strong engagement um, from retailers uh, around the nation um, and overseas. And I think actually next month is a special um, Dummies Month via Booktopia.
0: Okay. I so the timeline, I guess, like from from being told, "Hey, we'd like for you to to write a book," mm. is is there like a, a general time frame? For how long it takes for you to start working on a book to it getting published?
1: Yeah, oh, look, I don't, I know, I don't know the answer to that for mm. someone like me who's, you know, a journalist by 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 profession, um, been a writer since, since I was five, an editor for, you know, twenty odd years. Um, I can actually produce work much more quickly than the average bear, um, as you know, probably. Um, and I think, as if we think about it, really. Uh, so when Kate and I pitch the female investor to Wiley that was in I think a June 2021 and the book came out in April 2022 mm. um, this was slightly quicker than that but it was probably around the same probably June and then the book came out in February doing it up do it doing a new edition is whilst it was very very intensive and a lot of work it's not the same as writing a book so you do mm. it, it, it is slightly quicker But I think most people, if they were ever thinking about writing a book, um, you need to give yourself at least a year. Okay, okay. Um, Uh And and generally speaking, publishers um, often need uh, four months, depending on who you're working with, let's call it three months, three to four months from submission of manuscript to publication. Mm, okay. um so you've got to work backwards from there and unfortunately as we know a lot of people uh write start books that never finish and or yeah. uh you know spend uh spend a year I saw someone post the other day someone spent a year writing a book and have been editing it for the last five uh so one of the keys as a professional writer and you know an author I do have a master's in creative writing as well um at some point it's kind of like you have to abandon it you actually have to say okay I'm not going to sit here and tweak it till you know T- the cows come home this is the, uh, the the deadlines here this is this is mm. it I'm handing it over to the publisher and to the universe and I've done the best that I could in the time that I had available otherwise y- you know you'll be one of the many people who actually never who are all forever tinkering with their book when you actually at some point you have to actually kiss goodbye to your darling and you're also worrying about your
0: the content of the book being current
1: aren't you like Exactly. And I actually wrote it with, yeah, I actually wrote it with February in mind. And I, I'm happy to say, Damien, that I think I did pretty well with um, sort of forecasting where the market could be, where rates could be. Um, look, at the end of the day, when you've got a book as detailed as this, it, you know, it, it, there are things that change all the time. So it is pretty relevant. I mean, not relevant. It's, it's actually quite reflective of what's happening right now, albeit that I actually finished writing it in September last year. Okay.
0: And we'll put the link to, Um, I think there was a Booktopia link I found. I like, I love yes. Booktopia. So I try to yes. put their links yep. in above all. Um, first, one of the things I wanted to chat to you about before we get into like the rental crisis stuff, Buyers agents or BAs, as people in the industry like to say, because everyone loves acronyms, have sort of gotten quite popular over the last couple of years. In in especially, uh, lots of people who you will um you will engage their services to find you. Uh, an investment property based on a bunch of criteria that suits sort of your individual situation, your price point, the rental yield you're hoping to achieve and the capital growth, which is the value of the house that it might gain over time, you know, in the timeframe that you might want to sell it or whatever. But because housing uh, or real estate isn't uh, regulated as an investment vehicle, the way that shares, uh, and stocks in the stock market are regulated by the government it's sort of it's an industry where a lot of people have a little bit of distrust of who to look for for the right advice and info and then there's this the term of like property spruikers sort of comes about and people saying you've got to be looking out for property spruikers, don't engage with a property spruiker because of these reasons so if somebody listening to this is 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 new to this industry. They have a normal nine to five, and they want to get somebody like a buyer's agent to help them buy an investment property because they don't want to have to worry about trying to gain all the knowledge to to do it themselves. What should they be avoiding in this space to mm. not get their time and money wasted?
1: I think um, just to backtrack on the one of the first things you said there, Damien. I think it's important if you are interested in working with someone who is a buying ed- expert, a property investment expert, it's about recognising that that person and and, and, and recognising that that person knows more than you do in regards to what makes, uh, you know, an excellent property investment. Um, because, you know, the majority of people who don't work in the industry um, and who may have only ever bought their ho- own home, You know, they will never have the same abilities, experience, skills as people who are experts in that space. So it's important that you recognize that. And, you know, the very best property uh, investment advisors out there. Um, are not order takers, as we say. Um, they have people that come to them and they are licensed, they've got experience, um, you know, they've got the Qualified Property Investment Advisor via PIPA, which is um, obviously very important. Uh, they're members of PIPA, they're members of REBA as well. Um, these people, you know, are top of their game. They have the the skills, the knowledge, the experience, the networks um, to be able to sit down with potential clients or with clients understand um, their financial situation, their hopes and dreams, and then make recommendations to them. Um, you know, they're not order takers. They're not sort of mm-hmm. like if someone turned up and just sort of said, I'd like to buy a property at this place for this price, you know, and and any and I'd like to pay this much money. Well you know, you can go and do that yourself if you think that's a savvy investment idea. Well, off you go. You know. Um, now, I want to I want to differentiate between uh, buyers agents who help home buyers. That's completely different because people have specific requirements. They want to live in a particular location, a particular type of dwelling. They want to spend a particular price. You know, that's completely different. But if we're talking about property investment advice you know you want to work with somebody who can actually advise you on what is the best potential strategy for you individually and it's tailored to you as an individual right so um spookers don't do that they don't do that they just they just sell you a property they will sell you a property pretending to be you know to help you with your property investment journey but they're not they're not interested in that all they're interested in is offloading stock that they have or have access to that they're going to get paid a big commission to offload to you. Um, The opposite of that are, you know, professional practitioners who are, uh, you know, licensed buyers, agents, who are QPIAs, um, who can show you, um, you know, um, their own portfolio, they can talk to you about their own portfolio, you know, the very best operators, follow the same strategy that they recommend to their clients. So perhaps they might be, um, you know, their strategy might be uh, blue chip infill, you know, uh, it could be major regional areas. These people, the very best operators, they follow that same property investment strategy as they recommend to their clients. If they don't, Um, Or they can't show you or they don't want to tell you what they do personally. I would personally run a mile uh, because they don't have your best interests at heart. The very best operators are always about providing, you know, the most professional advice and creating tailored and bespoke and, you know, advice for their clients as individuals. There's not one, one size fits all approach at all. There's a
0: rental crisis going on, right? and it's big in the news and we're seeing these massive lines going through the uh going all the way around streets of people inspecting rentals they're seeing it in Sydney it's been happening in Brisbane it's even now happening in Melbourne where when I tried to get a rental in Melbourne at the start of or midway through 2021 I inspected a property and got accepted for the property in a day mm-hmm. so it's it's switch the complete other direction now where there's not enough housing for all the people that want to rent in a lot of our capital cities. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to fix what's going on? Uh, Yeah. What would you do? What would you do to fix what's going on at the moment?
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I would do if I had a magic wand. Uh, One is to obviously, you know, in some, some way, um, be able to increase uh, supply, uh, good supply um, of property in the locations that people want to live in um, as renters uh, quickly. Um, we know that that's impossible. But if I did have a magic wand, I would magic, you know, hundreds of thousands of rental properties out of the air um, uh, in infill in sites around capital cities and major regional areas that are, st- are definitely struggling with a massive undersupply of rental properties. Sunshine Coast, for example, there's literally nowhere to live uh, there. So that would be what because what we're talking about here, Damien is a' is a supply issue. and that has been brought about by a couple of things. One is just you know the there hasn't been enough new supply of, of properties being built. Um, But one of the major issues has been the reduction in investment activity, which actually started in 2015. Uh, Back then, and as you know, I've been doing this this stuff for a long time, but uh, back then, uh, APRA um, decided in its wisdom uh, to bring in some lending restrictions, which pretty much targeted investors. Now, at the time... Um, Sydney had you know was in the midst of its boom but pretty much in Melbourne prices were doing quite well but everywhere else was terrible like markets were terrible rents were you know we had massive oversupply problems this and that you know property prices weren't doing anything but APRA in its wisdom decided to bring in this lending restriction uh, nationwide. So not geographically tar- targeted to perhaps Sydney because you know the number of S- Sydney investors at the time was a little extreme, was extreme, and what that did was it actually uh, prevented a lot of investors who normally may have transacted from doing so. Uh, and from that moment on, we started to see um, a fall in the usual sort of you know volume of investors active in the market. Um, now clearly that continued um, COVID hit. And it got worse. So generally speaking, uh, if we think about all of the transactions in a real estate market that happen uh, every year, about historically 34, 35% have been investor activity. Um, Since, you know, for many years, it was nowhere near that. And then in the middle, I think it was in 2020, um, the percentage got down to 22.9%. Then, as we know, I think we've talked about on the show before, Damien, uh, a huge volume of investors offloaded their properties uh, that we found in the PIPA survey last yeah. year uh, for a variety of reasons. So they were stripped out. So you got investors who would normally be buying, not buying because of a bunch of reasons, mainly because they couldn't get finance. Uh, then when they could get finance, when um, APRA made some changes, COVID hit. And then there was a lot of obviously scaremongering and issues with uh, potential, potentially, you know, tenants staying in properties without having to pay any rent, all of the issues that we had temporarily in 2020. I think when prices started to rise, um, that all of those things scared the bejesus out of a lot of investors. Uh, Some investors had bought in underperforming locations. And when prices started to rise, they went, you know what? Now's my time to get out. And they did. And as we know, the survey showed um, potentially a couple of hundred thousand uh, rental properties stripped out of the rental pool um, over a two-year period, um, and now again, uh, we've seen investors uh falling again, and that happened started to happen, unsurprisingly, in May and June last year when interest rates uh, started to increase. Um, you've got people such as myself who own a couple of investment properties. The the market is so perfect at the moment for anyone who wants to buy an investment property for the long term obviously we've got lower buyer activity we've got softer prices uh rents you know we've got strong rental growth for a variety of reasons um but no bank is going to give me one red cent at the moment i have got all the desire in the world um to purchase to add to my portfolio um but because of the assessment rates That are currently in play, and you would know more than this, Mm -hmm. more than me about this, Damien. I I I can't, and so we what we've started to see again, and it's like deja vu. Like for a real estate barnacle like myself, as I call myself sometimes, um, it's the same thing all over again. It's like, man, this is deja vu because same thing happening. The number of investors are falling, so that means um, that the rental market is going to get worse. The rental growth, the rental price um, spikes that we're seeing predates interest rate increases uh, because of the critical undersupply of rental properties. Then when you add the perfect storm of like just the the massive increase of of, of interest rates that have happened in less than 12 months, rents are gonna keep going up. Um, And then on top of all of that, we don't have enough rental properties for our resident population. And uh, what's overseas migrations is predicted to be in the next in the yeah. 12 months, 200,000 yeah. people. And I've been saying for a while on the record for ages, you know, where are these people going to live? Um, but no one seems to be too worried about that. Mm. There's a guy,
0: uh, a guy from the Grattan Institute called Joey Maloney that I interviewed. He's based in Melbourne and he was explaining to me uh, what he thinks could be a temporary solution, which was rental assistance. If you're on a certain income, but your rent is 40% of your income, the government could subsidize a portion of, so at least then you're able to cover the higher rents. But I just wondered like. That'll just push rents up, wouldn't it? If you're charging $400 a week in rent to a to a, a tenant and the government's just getting it, and the government's basically just helping to pay the rent. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I I think that any type of market intervention of any kind um, always ends up with unintended consequences. So if we think back to those APRA changes that started in December 2014, right, and now we're 2023, that was market intervention. Mm. And here we are. You know, And I think every time that there's any type of market, because the market always sorts itself out. Yeah, okay, it's challenging. Yeah, it's hurty. All of these things that we're undergoing, and it's not the first time that I've, that I've been reporting or analysing or experienced these myself as someone who's been doing this for two decades. Um, but any time that there's market intervention, there will be a price to pay for that. And that's where we are. And I think as well, one of the things that, you know, I've spoken to you about before and that really, really makes my blood boil is the demonization of investors in this country uh, that continues. Um, it's never changed. I do everything that I can to change the narrative on that. Um, but, you know, when you have, seeming, well, when we know that the vast majority of investors only own one property. Um, and and all they're trying to do is to create a better um, financial position for them in retirement, so they don't have to rely on the public purse. And seemingly, you know, in Australia, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just really annoys me, and I think a lot of investors, given the economic, social upheavals that we had during COVID, myself included. Look, I was I am a long term investor, but I actually sold one of my properties too. You know, and that was really weird that I did that. But a lot of my friends who were all long-term investors and were generally property people um, or property nuts, um, we've all done the same thing. And that's for a variety of reasons. But one of them was that moment in 2020 when um, COVID first came along. And, you know, I was sitting there as a self-employed small business owner with three investment properties Uh, with the potential that I wasn't going to be able to charge rent and I would have to put all of my mortgages on a pause um, and that I was going to lose my business and those months that we had when it was like that um, as someone who's in their was in their 40s you just thought I never want to be in that position again and I think that has our generation who are generally generation x maybe some boomers have gone I'm never going to put myself in that be in that position again and sure god willing it probably be it is a once-off in all of our lifetimes let's hope but i think that has um, motivated a lot of people including myself to reduce my portfolio to protect myself financially in the future which look let's be honest you can probably say well that wasn't very smart But that moment, I was so honestly, Damien, I was petrified. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go bankrupt here. As someone who Mm -hmm. has been very financially astute my whole life, worked very hard to achieve what I have and to to build a very small portfolio as a single woman, um, that was petrifying to me. And since then, I know of a, a huge cohort of my friends who prior to COVID, we were not selling any of our investment properties until retirement. We have all sold at least one, some of us, a couple. Um, And I hear that a lot. And a lot of people will go, yay, investors are selling. That means that there's going to be, you know, more people that are going to buy, first-time buyers. Well, that's not necessarily true because 30% of the market is always renters for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, look, I think even last year when we sort of touched on this, I, I don't even want to forecast how horrific the rental market could get. But if there is any type of market intervention, a la what happened in Ireland? You know, there's gonna it's going to be horrific for for, mm. for for renters, for everybody, really. Um, and if we see investors, you know, starting to um, under financial jury, starting to sell their properties, um, that's not going to necessarily mean that there's going to be you know heaps more rental properties out there. It'll probably be bought by home buyers, as it was during the pandemic. And we're going to see even, you know, fewer and fewer rental properties mm. available uh, for tenants. I mean, look, the vacancy rate, the national vacancy rate, you know, SQM research, 1%, 1%. Like that is like, yeah. let's call that. There's no, there's no rental properties yeah. out yeah. there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not great. Um, A couple of things, I guess, to not to push back, but like, just to add to it. Firstly, mm. sorry that you went through that because financial stress is never fun. And even when you feel like you've done everything right to avoid financial stress, it can still come about and it sucks. So I'm sorry you went through that. Um,
1: and there's plenty of us yeah. that were like that. Heaps of people. Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: And like to anyone listening who goes through it, it sucks no matter what. Um, the I think we're all changed that, yeah. from,
1: from the pandemic for a variety of reasons, not just that, yeah. but we're all changed because our sense of freedom and all of the things that we thought we had living in Australia um, were shown not to be, Correct.
0: Speaking on the market intervention stuff, any suggestions people make of what could be helped are going to have consequences because there's no silver bullets? Like you're just trading, you're just switching out the, the trade-offs for other trade-offs. And um, I guess some people would suggest certain uh certain market interventions to just have different trade-offs that might hopefully they're going neg- to they're going to negatively affect somebody I guess is the thing it's like who are you going to affect is sort of the the trade-offs I guess and like I um I don't know the answer but I also spoke to a guy who's from the New South Wales Tenants Union and uh-huh I'm not okay, too sure
1: we'll be on the same side of the ledger here
0: no and I don't think so and that's okay <laughs> but like I feel like a man without a country because I don't really love landlords because every landlord I've ever had an experience with has not been pleasant. Um, I just left a, I obviously bought my own place and moved in at the end of December. My rental had ongoing issues that were not up to the standards, living standards in Victoria who tend to have some pretty strict ones, but mm-hmm. I don't disagree with some of them. Like none of my windows shut properly a few of the windows were strata involved. So I can understand why it's hard to get those fixed if it's under strata in an apartment, but the ones that were inside the, the, the confines of the actual place, they never fixed. Even though I asked them for like a year and a half, I'd respond to every 10 uh, I'd, I'd contact every real estate agent to get them fixed. And they never did the oven never worked. So I just never used the oven Jesus. and that happened for a year and a half. Right. And so, when I met the, the landlords in person, they came to do an inspection a year after I moved in and I just said like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And in the in every report I ever said, I told them everything that was wrong. And I also said, I understand that running an investment property is expensive. I'm okay if these things don't get fixed, but can you please fix these ones? And they they said that they had never heard anything about it. I don't know what we're talking about
1: is property management, then aren't we?
0: Maybe, maybe. Like, I, in my opinion, maybe. literally happened to
1: me recently. For sure, for sure. Like,
0: yeah, Yeah. like I've spoken to a couple of real estate agents who have said on record, like, a lot of real estate agents will not come to landlords with issues because they don't want to lose the sale, they don't want to lose their commission. So that's a problem, you know, like they don't want to, they know that landlords, some landlords will want to be saving their money on the cost. They want to be reducing the costs on the investment. And if an agent's coming to them with lots of maintenance requests, regardless of whether they're the legal standard or not, I can understand Mm. why knowing some real estate agents, they would not take that to the landlord because they don't want to lose the commission for a landlord going, but but that's just, that's yeah, I think, like, look, yeah. you know
1: what? It's not a perfect system. And that's no. the, the, you know, the ongoing issues that we have. And I think we did a, didn't we do a, a podcast last year about, you know, why you needed to be a good landlord or a good late landlady. For sure, for and, sure. and certainly that's what I always advocate, yeah. you know, and that investors are, and in my books, you know, always talk about um being a, being a good property investor, because yeah. without tenants you aren't, you know, yeah. you can't, the two, the two need each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. Right. Yeah. um. But, yeah, I have certainly, I've had experience of appalling property managers myself, um, you know, as a landlord, as a tenant, because I was a rent investor for a long time as well. Um, Recently, I heard about something that was happening in my property um, in Brisbane a year ago that I didn't know about, you know, that I I did not. And, you know, as I've just said to you before we started recording, I actually took one of my properties out of the rental pool. Uh, because it's a art deco property and it's had significant problems for a year and the property managers and also the body corporate were not doing enough mm. as, as far as i was concerned so i've actually taken it out of the rental pool so i can address those issues um because it wasn't they weren't getting fixed so as mm. you know there's it's such a tricky situation isn't it because yeah. i don't think either side is happy no in a way, like neither, if you're an investor, you know, you're probably not happy for a bunch of reasons. And, you know, as a tenant, you're not either. And, and the property managers, unfortunately a smack bang in the middle. Um, so maybe it's that the system is, is broken. Um, what do we do to fix that? I don't know. That's above yeah. my pay grade, but yeah. certainly I've been on both sides of that fence. I've been a tenant <clears throat> and I've been a landlord, landlady, um, And um, I have been frustrated on both sides of that ledger. And I've had amazing property managers and I've had appalling ones. I've had, ai had one that was so bad that two days after my mother died, um, my neighbours had to call me because there was water leaking out of my one of my rental properties into their property, and they hadn't been able to track down my property manager for forty eight hours. So they had to call me two days after my mother died. Could you imagine yeah. how that, you know, stuff yeah. like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you're just like going, and I thankfully I knew the owner of the of the agency, and I I rang him and kind of obviously unloaded fairly significantly I was still in shock and grief and things like that but um, unfortunately we I don't even know what to do maybe you know I I have no I have no idea how the system Mm. can be fixed because clearly it's broken it is severely broken
0: yeah and like my experience of landlords does and, and rental agents doesn't I know that that's anecdotal it's not it's not yeah. all and the vast and so, majority like, I'm not making a generalization you know? but like yes I, I just try to explain to people that are investors or that are maybe not from the generation I'm in or they people don't always understand why they're being demonized as landlords but a lot of young people have bad experiences with landlords and you can only base your opinions on your own experience that's just but I way, did 20 that's just years ago too
1: 25 years ago when I was a tenant it was the same and maybe this you know what Maybe the solution is to make sure that we're educating investors um, and making sure that they are not purchasing inferior properties in shithouse locations, which means that they're always struggling for cash and they can't afford to get the properties fixed or they can't, you I know, mean, obviously legally they're required to have their rental properties at a certain housing standard. But yeah. maybe the solution is to have a far more educated investment community who preferably works with bona fide experts who can ensure that the one, generally speaking, the one property investment that they own, or maybe the two are amazing in excellent locations, uh, you know, A-grade investments um, that enable them to have the cash flow um, and the capital growth to um, provide, uh, you know, an excellent rental property for their tenants who mm-hmm. wanna stay there for the long-term. Yeah. You know what, I've just thought about that, but that is the solution, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I was, just, I was what we're probably like...
1: seeing, what we're probably seeing is an uneducated investor buying something because it's all they could afford in a location that was around the corner from where they grew up or around the corner from where they live and always struggling um, to get it, you know, to earn decent rent or maybe there's oversupply issues or all of those factors and they're stuffed.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, if you you actually put on your, you know, if you're savvy about it, be a sophisticated, educated property investor, then that way we can, you know, it's about increasing the standards and lifting, lifting the whole industry up. And so when I said before, I don't have the solution, I actually do. And yeah. that's what we do, what, what Kate and I do with our book, the other books. That's what I guess altruistically what I'm trying to do is to um, educate people, educate investors so that they make savvy decisions. And by doing that, then that's going to improve the whole experience for tenants as well. That's the hope. That's the hope.
0: Thanks for your time, mate. I know you got a oh, you got it's a good heart out. You. you got a heart out. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I'm going to be up in Queensland at some point soon for some work stuff, so I'll try and get you, get uh, get to see you cuz I missed out on that that Pippa convention over in Melbourne cuz I was down here negotiating with a real estate agent. Who was-
1: well, and, and congratulations too for being a homeowner. Welcome Thanks, to mate. the club. Well, yes, well we do have a Pippa breakfast next month. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, I'll try to, I'll see where it is in Brizzy. All right. I'll see what I'm doing. I'll check my diary. I um, got my first rate notice 800 bucks. Woo! I didn't need that money. I didn't want it. It's fine.
1: Yeah, well, do you know what I've always done though? Um, Is I, I, you know, add it all up and I actually put like a weekly uh, into my mortgage account, a weekly amount, which is reflective of all the costs associated with that property. So do yeah, that. Okay. So right. you don't get any surprises and then you okay. just pay it out of that account. Yeah, okay. okay? Easy. easy. <laughs> Here's right. a bit of advice for you. Not financial yeah, advice. No, no, budgeting. just a tip. Thank you. All right. Yeah. I appreciate
0: that. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorting those out. So I'll put a link for anyone listening, I'll put a link to property investing for dummies in the bio. I'll put a link to bricks and mortar media in the bio so if people want to learn more about you or Pippa, it'll all be there. We'll do this again soon mate. Love your work as always.
1: Thanks buddy. Good to see you.